Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. Come to y'all just from the end of UFC 290 International Fight Week, Las Vegas, and I mean, easily the best UFC card this year. Like oh, for sure, in a I'm, while. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the last card this good was because. And I know, I know there's been something else in between, but like the the first thing that's springing to mind is like the 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 like the GSP Bisping card, and that was like 2017. I know that's not the right answer, but this was really, really goddamn good. No, it was fantastic. There were four sub one minute finishes, which I believe is a record for. Uh, the modern era UFC. That's yeah. insane. Like that's insane. The main card absolutely delivered. I mean, I, I got zero complaints on this one, honestly. Was, there was a couple scorecards that were, you know, a little questionable, but typical, typical MMA judging. But all yeah. in all, I am thrilled with the way this this card came no, out. I got no complaint. And I've even said before, and I will say it again, I will say it for this the best way to have a fight card, you want a little, you want that little bit of controversy. You want the thing that like gets you a little mad. You want the thing that, that like slows you down a little, it bores you a little. So that the next thing that picks you back up is just that much better. You know, you got to have just that little bit of sour in there with the sweet, a little bit of vin. It, it, you're making a stew. You throw in a little vinegar, you know, <laughs> just like hit that hit. You don't want all vinegar, but just that little taste. Oh, it it makes am. all the flavors pop. I embody the Sour Patch. <laughs> mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. a living Sour Patch. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I got nothing but positive vibes coming out of this, honestly. Even, even I will say, with half the internet once again dumping on me for one of my scorecards. Oh, which, I can't wait to get into that. Yeah, yeah. But first, we'll, we'll jump right in here for the main event and a fight that nobody's going to argue with, that nobody can come in and contest how, you know, who should have won what, how it should have gone. Well, I mean, almost. For the most part, Alexander Volkanovsky, totally dominant, fantastic performance, did exactly what he needed to do, took Yair down, grappled, wrestled him, slowed him down. We saw immediately why he had to do that in that third round when he like, was like, hey, you know what? I'll get get on the back foot. Let's try a little striking from range. I'll let you lead a little Yair. Like, yeah, I just started blasting him with shots. And it was just like, yeah, okay, you should go back to the pushing Yair backwards. That works much better for you. No, it's then- funny. In, in the first round, you see uh, when Yair was landing a, a couple of combos, 
yeah. the, the response from Volkanovsky was he was dismissive and, and it was a bunch of no's like, no, yeah. no, that's yeah. not it. That's not it. That third round, though, when Yaida uh-huh. started to connect, he was starting to smile and get the he, he got the acknowledgement. Yeah. And but shortly after that, that's when that the right hook came in. And well, the thing is, and here's a little tiny touch of country. It's not a big one, not a big one. But a minute before that right hook came in, the head came in mm. and mm-hmm. smashed Yeah, Rodriguez's jaw. Now, Yair is like one of the toughest dudes out there. And he's got a hell of a chin. And he had the time to to take and to like sit and say, yeah, okay, yeah, how am I feeling? How am I doing all that? He said, he's recovered. He went back in there. And there was a bit of a break before the right hook that hurt him. But you can't help feeling like that's just a little tiny bit cumulative. Like those sure. headbutts, th- those head clashes are nasty business because it's it's something you never see coming. Like the people get, get hit with them. It's always you're watching the hands, you're watching the feet, you're watching the toilet, you're watching everything else except for the person's forehead because that's never supposed to be yeah, you know, it's never supposed to be hitting you in the chin. You're not, you know, right. you're not paying attention to it. So it always comes out of left field. Um, that said, it's also a fight that Volkanovsky was pretty dominant in. So I'm not going to, it's not going to be the lasting impression of that fight. No. And, and not, not even enough to warrant a rematch of any kind. No, no. Like you're saying, Volkanovsky was pantsing Yair out there and, uh, and that head, head clash. I'm not going to call it a head, but that clash of heads, um, that's what kind of woke Yair up and, that's when he started coming out and actually pulling the trigger. He looked really gun shy out there against Volkanovski. And that's Volkanovski giving him so many different looks, constantly switching stances, constantly fainting, constantly threatening a takedown, showing the takedown. I mean, it's just such a tough, so many inputs to deal with that Yair just really didn't have many openings. No, I mean, when. It's one of the things like we were talking about going into this Connor and I on the section. Yeah, he's surprisingly good off the back foot for how much his stance breaks down and how much his defense breaks down because he's so agile. He can do things like, oh, I'm I'm circling backwards and I'm like crossing my feet up, and here's a jumping switch kick. Here's a little question mark kick sneaking over your shoulder. But it is one of those things where you also then have to acknowledge Yair's his game breaks down a lot when he's moving backwards. And Every time Volk started pushing him backwards, it, you know, it was one-way traffic, pretty much. It was his ability to get in on whatever he wanted and to get Yair to the mat, wrestling down. And Volk's wrestling looked great, honestly. It really did. And I think that that preparing for Makachev really boosted his game. Yeah. He yeah. looked a little Dagestani out there in, in <laughs> moments. I'm not going to lie. I thought, he, you know. It, it was um, it's like he took a little page out of Frankie Aker's book here. You know, that wasn't that long ago. Well, it was kind yeah, of yeah, but it, it was fifteen. It was twenty fifteen or twenty seventeen, something like that. Something but like that. It, yeah. it was a, it was a brilliant MMA performance by Volkanovski. It, it was. It was a great performance. It was a great fight. It was smart. I mean, this is the difference too when. You know, we're talking about uh, Brandon Moreno, Alexander Pantoja, Alexandre Pantoja here in a minute. And the difference between Moreno and Volkanovsky in like two fighters who 
have very technical striking games, have very good jabs, are very good scramblers, are, you know, very physical, capable fighters. But the thing that Volkanovsky does that Moreno has never been able to do is that while he's beating you, he is subtracting parts of your game from the fight. He is taking tools away from you and making sure you can't do stuff. You know, when when he has Yair on the back foot, Yair Rodriguez is not landing kicks on him. When he has Yair Rodriguez on his back, you didn't see any of Yair Rodriguez like threatening with a, a triangle or threatening with a submission. He was shutting down every single part of Yair Rodriguez's game when he was implementing his own game. Yeah, I guess we should also shout out Frank Hickman wrestling. Yeah. Uh, let's let's not undermine that. I know he played a part in this. And Craig Jones, mm-hmm. uh, phenomenal, phenomenal BJJ guru, I'll say. Uh, and, man, just his build also. Volkanovski is built like a wrestler. He is. He's not. But the fact that he's... He's really right. pulling a. He's taking a page out of GSP's book. Honestly, he won. A, he won an Aussie Aussie wrestling championship at at some point. You know, he 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 had some credentials. There, it's not. It's not folk style. It's not. You know, yeah. It's not. It it is definitely one of those things where like he didn't not know how to wrestle at all. He wasn't unfamiliar with it. It's like a, like a kickboxer coming in here and like, oh, I hate grappling. I'm learning how. He was at least comfortable getting on the mat with people. But yeah, his his wrestling game has upped a lot over the years, definitely. Yeah, his MMA wrestling, mm-hmm. it's through the roof. The way he Absolutely. blends everything together is, is pretty seamless. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's fucking with him, dude, at 145. Nope. You can say what you want about Ilya Taporia. He's fun. He's exciting. Yeah. But I man. can't wait to see it. It'll be fascinating because, I mean, that is, you know... That is one of the things I will say we, that we saw out of Topuria that that I like and that Volk does, and it'll be fascinating to see how they face off. Is when we saw Topuria against Emmett, Topuria also had a game that was very much just taking away all the, the tools that Emmett knew how to use, and you know making sure that he was using Emmett's own game against him, so that whenever Emmett tried to do something, he would be walking himself into something that he into a place he didn't want to be. He'd be chasing Tupuria at an angle out of the pocket where suddenly Tupuria is sliding off and catching him and suddenly like, oh, I can't come forward and bowl after you with big strikes. I have to just sit back and let you pick me off. Um, but then we did see Emmett like dig deep and come back later in that fight and sort of take it to Tupuria a little. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still going to be picking Volkanovski if or when these two do face off, but it'll be fascinating because Topuria is definitely putting together that kind of thoughtful, high level, you know, let me manage this fight, not just win it kind of game. And he's like featherweight's last hope. Yeah. <laughs> to be quite honest. Luke Skywalker out here. He's yeah. Uh, they actually had a little face off. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. When Volk was leaving the cage, they actually got face to face and, you know, I, I think yeah. it's going to happen unless oh, yeah. unless the rematch with Makachev could pop up. I, don't, I mean, we, we're still looking at, like, Makachev, 
in October in Abu Dhabi. I mean, I guess maybe that could be Volk, but it would seem like it was much more likely to be Charles Oliveira. Although after, I think it, it seemed also like Makachev only really wanted to fight uh, Benil Dariush. Because one thought, once Oliveira won, there was sort of like, a, oh, chance, plans are changing. I don't know if this is really the thing I care about anymore from Makachev. So, yeah, it could be. Maybe they slot Vol- Volk in there, but with him having surgery on his arm, he said. Oh, true, true. Like, yeah. I get the feeling that he's not going to be on the time frame for that fight, at which mm. point they're going to probably make the Charles Oliveira rematch, at which point Volk is probably going to be on a different, you know, if he wants to fight again by the end of the year, it's going to be Topuria, is my thought. But yeah, that's, you know, that's yeah. all pure projection. So, um, well, let, let's jump over then to this, this co-main event here. Brandon Moreno, Alexandre Pantoja. And of course, this is the fight and the card that uh, everybody was dumping on me for. Because I scored it, and this is a very much a, I think this could go either way, I'm not going to die on this hill kind of scorecard. I'm going to preface that, because I don't need I don't need more hate. <laughs> hold on, hold on. So you scored it for Moreno. I scored it for Brandon Moreno. Okay, well, Zane, uh, I also scored it for Brandon Moreno. Great. This and is what I love to hear. I Two gave Moreno people. the third round. Because yeah. The the strikes were pretty even, in my opinion, with the difference being that massive elbow that yeah. Moreno landed, cut open Pantoja, made him bleed. Where I come from, that's called damage, and that was enough to take a close round in my eyes. I can see yeah. if you gave it the other way, fine, whatever, but I personally gave that third round to Moreno, yeah. and I got it 48-47 Moreno. Same. Same two, three, four Moreno, one and five Pantoja. Those were pretty clear. Anybody who says round four and round five were exactly the same, I think you're full of shit. I think Moreno had significantly better damaging strikes in round four than in round five, where it was a fairly even round. Moreno maybe a little bit ahead before just getting backpacked out of the fight, where to a point where it's like, okay. You know, you're not mm-hmm. gonna no no judge except for apparently uh oh what's his name? It wasn't it Cleary? No, it wasn't Cleary. It was the, the guy Cleary. who's no, it's the guy who's usually a good judge. Um uh Ben Cartledge gave okay. Okay. he gave Moreno round five as well, which I don't like that, but yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. I will say, you know, I can see three is a toss-up, two and yeah. four Moreno, and uh, one and five Pantoja. I got no problem with the 48-47 either way. I'm not going to, like I said, this is not a hill to die on. This was a fantastic, amazing, absolutely awesome fight, you know. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, fight of the year kind of fight. And It was really good. That's the only thing to really take away. Yeah, there there are two other two other things, and they're both kind of a shame because we got fight of the we got a fight of the year candidate here. We've got an absolutely insane, awesome back and forth, crazy good. Both fighters having 
big rounds where they really hurt the other person really badly. Like Pantoja coming right out of the gate and hurting Moreno. Moreno coming right back in the next round and like and hurting Pantoja. And you're like, oh man, can this Pantoja gas? Can he even like keep up with this? Is this all done? And Pantoja t- like every round after that, he started like he had not just been incredibly gassed. Yeah. It was I don't know was, how he did it. I don't know how he did it either. It was absolutely remarkable. And the the thing is, though, is that now he's three up on Brandon Moreno. Like, wow, are we gonna run this two, back? Two and a half, but yeah, you know, are we two gonna two and a half? Two and a half, Zane. Are one we gonna was, run this? One was an exhibition. Sure, sure, but are we running this back? Are we doing it again? Because, I mean, I hate to say it, but Amir Albazi versus Alexandra Pantoja is not the world's coolest title fight. I mean, I'd rather see the Royval, Brandon Royval rematch with Pantoja than any of than than a Moreno Moreno rematch or an Albazi match. Yeah. See, I'm 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 thinking that it'll probably be Albazi that gets it because they can put him potentially they could put him on that October card in Abu Dhabi. Right. Uh, and have a second title fight for that card if I mean this was a brutal fight, so if Pantoja can even like make that kind of turnaround, who knows? Yeah, Pantoja put everything into this. He even, really did. I mean, he it sounded like he summoned some deep rooted childhood trauma. Oh, yeah, there were demons speech, there. Yeah, calling out his, his estranged father, asking yeah. if he was proud now, like mm. in, in a second language at that, you know? Yeah, um. So, yeah, I mean, this was a I, I, on that note too. Like, I can't be happier for Alexander Pantoja. I didn't think he'd win this fight. I thought Moreno had done enough, Im- had improved enough to win it, and you could see he had the the he had the slicker technique, he had the control when this was on its feet. When it was talking about just like you know for long stretches, who's landing the better shots who's looking better it was Moreno but he couldn't ever keep the fighting control and that's the thing I was talking about with Volkanovsky Moreno couldn't ever take any tools out of Pantoja's game you know when he was landing shots if Pantoja wanted to fire back at him he was hitting Moreno clean when Pantoja was shooting in Moreno wasn't ready he was getting taken down there was no part where Moreno was subtracting any of the things that Pantoja wanted to do. So it ended up being a very even fight where both guys got to do a lot of what they wanted. But yeah, all the commanding was happening on Pantoja's side. It really was. Moreno, he was fighting hard, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't dictating where the fight was taking place or how hard the fight was uh, being had at. He was just, um, I guess, following. Following the lead of Pantoja and... I thought he won the fight, but, but you know, whatever. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a thing I'm going to argue. I'm just saying I really – I can't be happier for Pantoja because this is a dude that, like, you know, he says, when you know my story, you'll love me. But he is clearly – he has been slaving away in this flyweight division forever. He has been out there putting in the work, fighting for years. He's 33 now. He made his debut in 2007. Wow. You know, 
That's nuts. That is 16 years. And he's had to watch someone he beat twice or one and a half times. Uh, yeah. You know, in all these main events, getting these title fights, getting all the, the royal treatment as yeah, much Pant- as he can at flyweight. Like Pantoja, he's never been he's never been the dude. He's never he's never been the guy that the UFC was ever gonna turn to and lean on. He's never headlined a card before this. Or he well, he still hasn't, I should say. He didn't headline this one. Well, he but never like, saw he'd never been to championship rounds before this. Yeah. To my knowledge. Yeah, no, he he'd never fought in a five round fight. He had never been he'd never gotten that spotlight at all, whole career. So to see somebody like him come in, and especially in a division like flyweight, which is not kind to longevity, uh, to see him come in and like and win this title now, at this point in his career, it's really cool. Um, and then yeah, like I said, do you go back and do you replay this Moreno fight? Do you you say book the Royville fight? I think they're gonna do Albazi. I think the, the fight then to make is Moreno versus Royville too. Uh, if Moreno, if Royville can win that, he gets another title shot. If Moreno can win that, he needs to win as many of those fights as he can if he wants to get another title shot is my thought. I just hate that Albazi's getting the title shot because I don't think he'd beat Cara France and I don't think yeah, he's of it. So. I know. It, it's, not, it's not a cool fight to make right now. The only big thing is that the UFC has a they have a, a selling hook to it, and it's not to the broader MMA audience. It's specifically to we can put this guy on the Abu Dhabi card. Sure, I get you it. know, yeah. All right, great moment for Pantoja. Amazing fight. I'll even t- I will take getting uh, cooked in in the get my ass beat in the quote tweets online. If uh, just for the quality of this fight, you know, I can handle that. I bring this to a middleweight bout, though. Drikus Duplessis beating Robert Whitaker. And I, if this card were not so great, I would be so depressed right now. Really? Yeah. Because it's Robert Whitaker? It was not because it's Robert Whitaker. I mean, I do like Robert Whitaker. He seems like a nice guy, whatever. Drikus Duplessis' game should not beat Robert Whitaker. That's just not how it's supposed right. to work. Well, it should at middleweight, though, right? Yeah, but that's just—I mean—that's just a whole, you know. That yes, you're not wrong, but middleweight—that just makes everything worse. <laughs> no, this is perfect. This is um, it moves along the division properly. It does. It does. Uh, it's fresh. Um. It's, I won't lie, it's great for bloody elbow. I mean, <laughs> UFC 293 is going to be a big deal. We are going to, that is going to do very well for coverage. <laughs> yeah, I, I expect a very um, racially charged lead up. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But it's also just, I mean, I I love Robert Whitaker. The hardcore fans love Robert Whitaker. Fans in general, MMA fans in general, do not care about Robert Whitaker even a little. His fights do not draw at all. So having somebody like Duplessis out there alongside Adesanya, who is one of the sport's biggest draws these days, 
Like that is a card that people will be talking about every week for the next three months. Oh, I'm going to be excited personally. Yeah. So yeah. I business wise, I'm excited. And now analytically I am depressed because it just, it, it's, it's, it, it, it is, it is the like, you know, it, it's like the Kung Fu master training with like the swinging bag of sand where he's like ducking and doing cool moves and all that. But in this case, the bag just hit him and knocked him out. <laughs> you know? No, come on now. Drickus Duplessis looked vastly improved. He looked composed, much more composed and less frantic than the past. Um, much more defensively responsible than in the past. And, uh, you know, he's fucking huge. He is. We're, he we're is getting this influx yeah. of huge middleweights that, that are pretty much just light heavyweights that are, yeah. somehow can cut an excess amount of weight. He and, still looks like he's running from a flight of bees every time somebody throws more than two punches at him. But, you or, know. Even if he's just in open space, right? Yeah. Like, you know, he's just uh, real Keith Jardine-esque, I'll say. If you remember him, he was always, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you think he doesn't Keith, look Keith Jardine had a rhythm. It was just a really weird rhythm. Drigus Duplessis is just a chaos bubble. Like, there's no rhyme or rhythm or reason that anything happens. It's just you. It is just a big wall of muscles that will run into you over and over again. For all time, you have to knock him out cold, or he will. It's like he, some. It's like he's picking his own body up by the ankles and swinging it at you. <laughs> well, I uh, I think the uh, newly UFC Hall of Famer Jens Pulver he once said, uh, "When you train in hell, hell's not that bad of a place to be." Mm-hmm. And I think the same might be true for chaos. And yeah. if, if you just constantly live in chaos you uh you tend to do better when it's more normal for you when it when it actually happens kind of like sparring you know the more sparring you do the more ready you're going to be for a fight of course within reason but you're just prepared for that fire and no i mean you can see it out of cameron simon too out of that same camp these are dudes that are very clearly very comfortable and trained very hard in like chaotic mma sparring where they're they're not just like oh yeah we're doing some boxing and some rest uh, boxing trip sparring and or we're doing some wrestling sparring but they are doing like full out rounds of mma all the time get messy get go everywhere do everything and be comfortable all the time with it yeah there's something to be said for that yeah might not be great for longevity right they might not be yeah. around forever but I, I think it's uh, it's definitely great for forging, mm-hmm. forging fighters. And yeah, Drickus is uh, the next contender for the UFC middleweight title, like it or not. <sighs> I mean, I don't hate it for I don't hate it for his sake, and I don't hate it because I love Whitaker. I just it is such a like chaotic wild man style of fighting, you know. Well, I had a I had a buddy. Uh, on Twitter, Dane Curley, he asked for some betting advice. And I was like, uh, 
you know, if if Drickus can avoid getting knocked out in the third, uh, taking the plus three and a half round spread on him sounds like a good idea. And sure as shit, if yeah. uh, he ended up getting the finish, which is is a, a payout anyways, but yeah. I wasn't I wasn't convinced that Whitaker would have been able to finish Drickus. He's been on a yeah. crazy uh decision streak in his wins. And uh Drickus is a monster. He, he is, really he's is a fucking monster, man. Yeah. All right. That brings us well, we're gonna skip over the post fight speech there because uh, you know. Why, Zane? What what was said? Hit me, hit me with some quotes, Zane, <laughs> if you don't mind. Lots of things. Like what? Just, you know, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hit me with some verbatim. There, there were some genetics brought into it. <laughs> some 23andMe. 23andMe. Or wait, was it? Is that what it is? He, he said, yeah, it is 23andMe. He said 36andMe and 26andMe. And, uh, you know, yeah, just moving right along. <laughs> Talk about this catch weight bout instead, Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner, and also fight of the year kind of contender here. Uh, yes, as as one of our uh, commenters has said, one thing repeatedly, yeah, it was... <laughs> That was that was the speech there. It was a lot of one word over and over again. Which word was that, Zane? <laughs> you know what? For those okay. that missed it. Dan Hooker, <laughs> he had this awesome fight with Jalen Turner, and that's what we're talking about now. Uh, and this was, I really thought, I was thinking totally on just like, I think Jalen Turner is going to make Dan Hooker look pretty bad. I think he's going to come out here and he's going to be super fast and he's going to start cracking Dan Hooker and he's going to take him out. And that looked pretty, that looked like a pretty smart prediction for a couple of minutes. Sure. For a little while. But credit to Dan Hooker because he was two steps behind for the first half of this fight. And... Every time, every exchange that he had with Turner, he was very clear-eyed, very watchful of what was coming at him, and would always find one or two counters in the mix with whatever Turner was bringing to him. So with Turner coming in with like two, three, four punches, and Dan, Dan Hooker might only land one in response, but it was always a good, clean, hard shot, and Hooker always kept his wits about him. And the further that fight got, uh, the further the fight went, the more that one shot started to count. And the moment it started to count just a little bit more than the offense that Turner was putting out, like there, there are a few fighters who, who flip a switch better from the guy they are in neutral space in an, in an open equal exchange fight to when they're winning than Dan Hooker. When Dan Hooker is winning he, like, man, that dude needs to be there all the time because he beat somebody, he beat Jalen Turner's ass for a round and a half, you know? Oh, look what he did to Dustin Poirier. Yeah. 
We got a shout out Anton, by the way. Uh, one of our bloody elbow editors, he he said everyone's sleeping on Hooker, and sure enough, we, we were sleeping on Dan Hooker. We didn't show him the respect. He's been forged no. in the fire. He's yes. he's proven himself. Uh, he's been in there with the elites. He might not mm-hmm. have come out on top against a lot of those guys, but he put up some respectable showings, and you know he he was able to weather similar storms that he's seen in the past, and. Just step on that yeah. accelerator and and take the win. Yeah, great performance from from Hooker. Really suspect card turned in by Adelaide Bird here, who scored round three for Turner. I could see round two. Round two was a little 50-50. I still would say Dan Hooker hurt Jalen Turner a lot more than Jalen Turner hurt him. Sure. But that was like... Jalen Turner still had a lot going in the first half of that round before the the script started getting flipped on him. But round three, round three, isn't like, isn't she the one that was involved in that Triple G Canelo? Yeah, she debacle. she she has had she's repeatedly had cards so bad that people have hounded her out of the game for months on end. How is she back? I don't understand. Uh, I mean. Combat sports judging is a it is a world where longevity and connect who you know is of high value. Yeah, it's kind of like Congress and yeah. the Senate and yeah. <sighs> so it's a place when you get to the top level, it's very hard to to, to kick somebody out of that position because. It doesn't, you know, it's like these jobs pay a lot. The, the, the people doing doing it volunteer. And so you're always going to go to like, oh, well, you know, how responsible can we hold somebody for something we're not really paying them that much money for? And Oh, at that point, we got to lean on their experience. You know, they, they've done this so long and they've done but so I mean, much. Even above all that, like what's their relationships with yeah. the powers that be? Yeah, yeah. Do we know? Whose you know, aunt, who's aunt is that? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. A lot of, you know, I think like Adelaide Bird's husband is a longtime referee. So these are people that are like, you know, they their connections to the combat sports, inside combat sports world are very long and deep. Anyway, terrible scorecard, fun as hell fight, and great win for Dan Hooker. Uh, I don't know what this sets him up for, but. I will say, Hanada Moicano is out there, and we can uh, we can do uh, you know Hanada Moicano versus uh, Dan Hooker. Oh man, that's brilliant! I'm I'm uh I'm totally down for that. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be great. Oh man. Yeah. Hooker, man, I'm so happy for him. I'm, he was so many people wrote him off, myself mm-hmm. included. I mean, he and he did everything in the lead up to make it seem like he was real distracted too. You know the uh, that like he's talking about Tony Ferguson and how pissed off he was about getting offered that fight, and talking about Islam Makachev and this secret IV that he knows and has evidence that. Makachev got, but apparently, you know, it's not evidence he can show to anybody or tell anybody about. 
And so it always just seemed like, you know, he's just in like a place where you're like, yeah, you really focused on Jalen Turner. Is this really, you've talked about retirement before you've talked about finding the fire again. None of these things are things that like, as you know, as an analyst, you want to hear and you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the dude I want to bet my money on. I try not to read too much into what fighters say, honestly. Yeah, no, it's that that's a very smart thing. But, but it does seem like he broke his arm in the fight. He did. He, we saw the x-rays even. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, broke Ooh. his wrist. He might be out for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. I was going to, yeah, I don't know when we'll see him fight, fight again, because that'll probably keep him out of uh, any potential to be on that Australia card, which would be the obvious place to put him right back, but can't, Man, I can't believe they brought up. in Adesanya to have a face off with Duplessis. Like what has that ever been a good idea? They do, they do it. Every, and, and you know what? I'm sure right now, Dana White sitting at a press conference saying that was a bad decision we made to bring Adesanya into the cage. I wish we hadn't done that. And next pay-per-view they're going to have the champ sitting cage side and they're going to walk him into the cage and they're going to do, they do it every single time. And every single time they come back around like, Oh man, that was stupid. It's not a learning position. No, it's always cringy. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times. It's full cringe. There was like the, the one time it wasn't was the Brandon Moreno when he was super cordial and respectful and, when they brought Fig in for him. Other yep. than that, though, it's always getting weird, and it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I guess the UFC's trying something. Yeah. All right, let's jump down to this middleweight bout: Bo Nickel, Valentin Woodburn, and um, man, Nickel said it. I said it, which of course means that it really should have been true. Probably you were saying it, I'm going to assume. The smart thing that seemed like Valentin Woodburn had to do would be to just go after Nickel as hard as he could. Just take the take the power, take the speed, go after him straight away as best you can. Make it chaotic. You're coming in here on like three days, four days notice or whatever. Like, just... Put the screws to him. See what shakes out of chaos. Instead, he played on the back foot and tried to draw Woodburn in or draw Nickel in to like counter him. It's like, man, you are a five-eight middleweight. You can't. If you're gonna let somebody else throw first, they're just gonna hit you first. <laughs> uh... And Bo Nickel just. He's no idea of anybody, anybody, not anybody's idea of a striker, but he's just like, okay, here's a long right hand, and I'm going to land it before you because my arms are five inches longer than yours. And that was all it took. Oh, man, Bo knows hands. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, you, I know of all people, Zane, you had to have loved the, uh, the old uh, leap-in rear uppercut. I, I know how yeah. much you love that as a way to, you know, just naked, a naked strike. Yeah. Sure Nothing better than leading with a rear hand uppercut where you're jumping into the pocket. But it's effective. That was the, that was the death blow here. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's not, it's, it's, 
the technique is super porous, right? Defensively uh-huh. speaking, uh, you're going to get clipped if you keep doing it that way. But in the moment against that guy, it's yeah. not going to matter. No. Uh, the division doesn't matter. You can get a, you're going to be able to get away with a lot of um, a lo- it, it's more about um, function than it is yeah. about form. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be pretty. If you got horsepower and you step on that gas and you're first, like you're saying, you're going to you're going to have more success in the middleweight, light heavyweight, even heavyweight division. Yep. Now I got to say though this lines up. This is and this this came out of the uh Substack live chat that I've been running. So I got to give I got to give that 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 room credit for this idea, but the moment I heard it I'm like, yeah, we got to do this. You got to do Bo Nickel Joe Pfeiffer now, right? For palest, palest middleweight in the UFC? I don't think they'll do it. No. I like it, but It'll I feel fun. like they're they're in the same, they're at the same dinner table with Dana White. I don't, it's I don't true. see them clashing until later. Much also, later. also, that would be a very difficult card to judge just because judges would probably have a lot of trouble telling them apart. <laughs> Dang, that might be racist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is this what are you, Israel Adesanya? What is going on here? I'm just saying, like the light shines on him because that's real reflective surface there, and I wanted to know, like you know. <laughs> then, um, I yeah. I don't know. I. I kind of feel like Nickel's going to keep getting these matchups where someone's going to fall through and he's going to get these short notice replacements. This might be by design, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's so raw. I don't keep giving him in, inexperienced yeah. guys and hopefully he won't have Aaron Pico moments. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the UFC's Aaron Pico right now and it's, you know, it, it just do you avoid the big pitfalls? Even Pico is now like up in contender status for Bellator. It's, do you avoid the big pitfalls on the way on what is very, very almost certainly a rise to contender status for Nickel? Yeah. Just because I think it's tougher for Pico coming, you know, being yeah. a smaller guy where yeah. his athleticism doesn't count for it's, as much. Yeah, it's more, much more. There are a lot more comparable athletes down at that level. Whereas Nickel being a top t- top tier athlete at 185 pounds, you were you're a pretty rare specimen in that division, you know. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a welterweight. This is the if if for me, Duplessis versus Robert Whitaker was the bad vibes fight of the night. I I look I'm not asking you to share my vibes. I'm just saying for me personally. If it, that was the ba- the bad vibes fight of the night, then the good vibes fight of the night has to be Robbie Lawler absolutely melting Nico Price in 38 seconds. Come on. And then the UFC in a rare, a rare little like semi-pride moment for the UFC actually having a custom video package for a fighter that's not just them in front of a, a, a backdrop with a can- with a mic saying, oh, I'm going to beat my opponent's ass today. 
and I love my family. Like, <laughs> no, they put together an actual video package for Robbie Lawler to be like, here's your ride into the sunset, man. Enjoy it. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Man, the second price went out, I just started crying my fucking eyes out. I'm not even going to lie, dude. I had to like hide my face and my shirt. My girlfriend's sitting next to me and I'm just like losing it. And she doesn't understand. Like she doesn't know yeah. what's going on. She's like, what, what happened? <laughs> She's like, did you, did you bet a money on this, on the guy that lost or something? Like why? She didn't understand. But like, I've been watching Lawler for over two decades, over yeah. two decades. And for him to go out on a win, like I want nothing more for for legends than to go out this way. It's yeah, rare air, very rare air. And to like you know have the whole Hall of Fame ceremony the night before, have you know walk out here, get the knockout to not just a win, but like a brutal classic Robbie Lawler knockout. And then you get the whole highlight package and the arena full of... I mean, just... Man, that dude has earned every ounce of respect he could ever get in his entire life, you know? Even the walkout was heavy for me. Like, yeah. you see it on his face. He's taken in the moment. He's just wide-eyed, trying not to cry. I'm trying not to cry. It it, it was such an incredible moment. And, and I don't think there is a... a a greater ambassador for the sport that this send-off could happen for. I mean, everything just went so perfectly, such a storybook ending. If this were a movie, I'd be like, yeah, right, whatever. That that would never happen in real MMA. He would get shit kicked about six times in a row. And yeah. Then, you know, glue factory time for you, bud. But man, he he did it, man. What a yeah. legend. Love what a to fucking see legend. it. I had somebody, uh, Adam Jones, he said that the ruthless send off of some of the best stuff the UFC has ever done. And I, I agree, man, like they do not have nearly, nearly enough moments of that kind of individuality and creativity anymore where you get to really feel like, Oh, they cared a lot about this fighter and they want to make sure that everybody else knows how much this fighter means to the sport you it know? had to have come from the higher ups this is like a yeah. dana white or a fertita one of them made that happen yeah this otherwise if it, if it was just the machine operating it, it would have fell through the cracks but mm -hmm. honestly man lawler needs some sort of gold pass where wherever he goes he gets complimentary everything <laughs> no matter where he goes worldwide like That's right class act from start to finish like we watched him grow up in the in the cage or in the ring i even you know i even saw this the other day somebody brought it up after he made weight i couldn't i was i couldn't even believe it but i was like holy shit Bobby lawler has never missed weight never missed weight in his whole career professional never once like dude fought for 22 years and what 50 odd 47 fights never missed weight once and he's never been one of the like measure out all the foods and all mm -hmm. that no he his whole strike force run was him basically just being like yeah i'm not taking this stuff that seriously i don't really have the fire and the passion for it i'm just kind of you know he, he legendarily didn't spar all those years 
So it's just like staying in shape and then getting showing up for fights and that was it. Not cutting weight because he was fighting at middleweight. And then comes back to the UFC and is just like, I'm right where I want to be. I'm going to start taking it seriously again. Oh, here I am winning a title. Like 16 years into his career. Man, just madness. I, I just hope this is it. And he rides off in the sunset and he, yeah. he doesn't do any uh, bare knuckle boxing. I'm... Uh, I've I've uh I've interviewed Lawler a couple times and if you watch the interviews I mean he's the most humble respectful guy at, like that you'll ever see it's crazy that he's a killer and the second the camera stops rolling and it's just one on one it's it's the exact same it's more yeah. of the same I mean he's a little more uh he's less PC behind the scenes but he is uh, a a fighter's fighter he is everything you would expect him to be much like George St. Pierre. These guys just are who they are, whether it's in front of, you know, 50,000 people or in front of three people. Lawler's great. His great passions in life are like fishing and high school football. So if we're going to see anything out of, out of Lawler in the future. It'll probably just be like, you know, him showing up for, for talking, like breaking down, low-level regional Iowa football games or something. Yeah, like, and coaching. He's he's been yeah. starting to coach a lot. And he's got he's uh he's been cornering Logan Storley, who's mm. been making waves over in Bellator. So I expect to see him in the corner of of some guys. Yeah, I could I mean the dude has always had had a great mind for the game. I'm 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 sure there's a lot to impart there. Always I would want I wonder how much it'll be because you know sometimes it's all like Knowing how to do it isn't knowing how to teach it. Yeah, and true. Lawler seems like one of those guys who a lot of his fighting comes very naturally to him. But, you know, it's always – you never know. I never can tell who's going to make, like, a great, great, awesome coach and who's terrible at it. You see fighters all the time where you're like, oh, who who could this guy coach? And then you see him in the gym working with him. like, oh, okay, that's actually pretty good. You know? Yeah, you never know. You never know. But, man, what a story. What a legend. What a story, yeah. What a privilege for us to be able to Yeah, no kidding. That, man. All right. That brings us to a flyweight catchweight bout, 130-pound Satsuro Tyra against Ed, Edgar Chires. And, uh, eh, you know, all things considered, not a uh, great fight for Tyra, really. He had a dominant controlling round. They gave him a 10-8 in there, but then... He actually got stuck in that guillotine late. And whenever he was on the feet, Shiraz made his boxing look pretty bad. So it was a fine win. He, you know, he did the job. He keeps keeps the train rolling as a as a flyweight prospect, but not a hype building fight for him at all. No, this could have uh, been scored the other way, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It could have been. The closest I, I the fight came have, to but, the closest yeah. that third round came to being finished was that well, guillotine at the very end. Shira has definitely won the third round. I just didn't think he won either of the, the other two. The first round, what are you talking about? He buckled him and he dropped him, Tyra. Yeah, but then he got like take swarmed for the rest of the round. Mm. I, I would have been shocked if any judges gave him that first round. But 
Here, I'll I'll see if I can find the card. We can settle this. Let's see. Yeah, I thought it, I thought uh, he gave up the first go. round. Tyra, Tyra won the first two rounds on all three judges' scorecards. Wow. So, yeah. Well, there you go. I guess I'm tripping. I guess you can get buckled by a leg kick and get dropped, and I guess uh, you know, still yeah. win the round. Yeah. Anyway, that only undercuts the idea. This was not a great fight for Tyra. Honestly, it wasn't a great fight for either. No, no. I mean that that jumping the guillotine. No. Like, yes, he ended the fight in that position, but it also cost him position several it, it, times throughout. I mean, Chiris took this on like a few days notice. So I'm not gonna really knock him too much. But and he has a bad habit of grappling off his back and going for risky subs. So that is something he needs to to work on. But for Tyra, like you were expected to stomp this fight, you know, and did not happen. It was a tough fight. Yep. All right. That gets us to the actual shocking upset of the card. Denise Gomes, Yasmin Haragui, and Gomes, like her pre UFC fights, they were not special. You go watch her in Invicta and like in the uh, in the regional scene, and you see a lot of pressure and a lot of not throwing, and a lot of winning from ha- getting uh, opponents to just back up so long that they get tired and break down. And you're like, okay, yeah, I, I guess that's you know, you won, but and it's not pretty and you're getting to the UFC and people are going to, they're going to throw a lot more than you and you, what are you going to do about it? And then she had a fight with Loma Lukbunmi and that kind of came out. It's like, oh yeah, okay, so you don't throw enough and Loma Lukbunmi can take you down and beat you up and make you pay for all the pressure without the volume. She looked good against Bruna Brazil last time out. Bruna Brazil is not very good. Yasmin <laughs> Hardly She's legit. Like, that is a legit, very good, rising contender in this division. And Gomes just went out there and smashed her. Like... 20 seconds. Shocking. Knockout. Cold. Yep. What? This is this is a, a, a classic storming of a castle. Yeah. Like she wasn't ready. <laughs> no, this is the the fa- the record for the fastest knockout in strawweight history. Yeah, it was great win for Gomes. I'm really honestly with the power she has, the pressure she's always shown pulling her. If she can keep pulling the trigger like this, she can be a problem. You know, if she can go out there because those punches too that she landed on Hardway, those were clean. Like that was not just. Swanging and banging, and you know, the the sort of spray and pray. Those were those were clean, perfectly placed shots. They were all and, right hands. She yeah. had to she had to reset after every one of them. <laughs> it's true. They were beautiful. This was yeah, man. Yep, 
great fight for for Gomes. Rough loss for Hargui. I think she could, she'll bounce back. I think. You I mean a lot of fighters can take some. Getting caught cold like that early in a fight is not the worst sign for a fighter. It's just something that can happen. You know, we've seen like hell. It happened to Alexander Volkanovsky early in his career. You know. I mean, we were just talking about Aaron Pico. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He actually. Got- he got club and tech subbed in his yep. uh, debut. Oh, and and it was in the third round for Volkanov. He didn't actually happen to Volkanovski, but he did get knocked out early in his career. But uh, you know, it happened to Robert Whitaker against uh, Stephen Thompson early sure. in his career. You know, like it's not it's not the end of the world to have that kind of loss, but it should be a learning point considering that Hargui also got hurt and dropped by Estela Nunez early in the, her last fight, too. Like, she comes out with a lot of aggression and a lot of pressure. And it's like, maybe you should, like, check your defense just a little more while you're trying to feel out the fight and figure out your opponent. Trying to storm people right away early in a fight like that when you're a little cold, you know. I don't know. She might have chin issues. Like you, you're on the losing end of the the record for the fastest knockout in the lightest division. Yeah, not a good, not a good. It's not a good thing. I'm I'm saying it's too early to tell with the chin issues. Hopefully, it's a correction issue that she can correct through. Like, don't start so fast if you're gonna be cold. Like, if you're not gonna feel like you are right in rhythm from the beginning, don't go right out and charge into somebody's wheelhouse. Slow down just a little, but. If it's a chin problem, then yeah, that's going to be that's too bad. She's got such a great technical game. I love it otherwise. All right. Alonzo Menafield, Jimmy Crute. I was a little shocked with how many people I saw picking Crute going into this fight. Sure. <laughs> Especially after that, their first yeah. encounter. Yeah. Because the, the story of the first encounter was sure, Menafield got really tired. And he got in plenty of bad spots, but he also like literally almost killed Crute on like four different occasions in that first fight. He probably knocked him out at least three times. How do you watch that and be like, oh, if they run this back, my bet is on the the guy who had a sloppy performance having equally a sloppy performance and not the guy who almost died several times magically not almost dying again. I don't what's shocking to me is that it happened with a guillotine. Yeah, well, nobody would have called Alonzo Metafield by submission. That was shocking to me. I thought it was yeah. gonna knock him out. But for him to to stop a takedown yeah. with a guillotine and like actually chase it down. Oh, that was beautiful. Someone was freaking out too. Like, why is he? Why is Crew rolling to his back? What is he doing? Like, no, that's what you do. That's how you defend yeah. a guillotine. You roll to your back. Like yeah, we saw and- it with Ty- uh, Tyra at the end yeah. of his fight. What happened? He was caught in the guillotine. How did he defend? He rolled to his back. Was it DC who was like, "Oh, he tapped out kind of quick," and they showed him like his neck is getting broken, man. Like, see, but DC's never in those positions. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't do that. He's way too alpha for for those uh, submissive positions. That's right. DC would never get himself submitted. Crute though looked like he was going to retire after the fight. He took his gloves off, put him down, and his his corner made him go get him and like pick him back up. Like, 
I don't I always hate to see stuff like that because I'm of the mind like if you want to get out of this this game, get out. Like if you don't if you are not if your heart and soul are not a hundred percent in fighting to every ounce of your being, go please do something else. Find another path because this this place will not be kind. Sure, if that's what it is. We don't know that's what it sure. is, right? Another possibility, another option could be Crute's uh, like, man, I'm the grappler, and I just got fucking submitted by Alonzo Menafield. Nah, I'm done. I'm. I don't. <laughs> uh, that's it for me. If I'm getting submitted by Alonzo Menafield, I probably don't true, belong here. True, I, I'm but, done. Yeah, I, I mean, don't the, know. The dude hasn't won since uh, October of 2020. Yeah, no. I. I mean, I would also just say retiring might not be the bad, the worst idea for how hard he gets hit all the time. Very unforgiving division especially with someone whose MO is to come out and grapple. Yeah. Not the division. Go. He needs to go have a drink with Paul Craig. Yeah. Talk about some things. All right. That brings us to the light, uh, to the prelims, Vitor Petrino, Marcin Prachnio. Really basically don't want to talk about this fight. Prachnio. Prachnio did all right for like a couple of minutes. And then Petrino, started to bully him a little, convince him that he didn't really actually want this fight, and Brachnio more or less obliged from that point forward. It was, just looked, it, this was yeah. a slow burn. The first round was pretty fun. Brachnio was actually biting down and slinging yeah. some leather. It got pretty exciting, but once the grappling started, it just, you know, it really sucked the air out of the fight. Yeah, and unfortunately, like, you know, this is one of those things too for me where it's like every time I see Prachnio fight and every time he gets into a hard fight, he just he really looks like he hates it. Right. And I'm just like, man, how do you do this? Like, how did you get to this point in your life where you are out here fighting people in a cage in front of a crowd for money and you're just like, I don't like it? Like, don't this is not this is not smart life management, man. Have, have you ever seen a knight's tale? With yes. you know the one guy that's like always so angry <laughs> he's like him yeah it's like he, he he uh i don't know man he did really well in that first round yeah he's he's got the size he's got the strength he even has a lot of the durability with his eye when he's got his eyes focused and all that like he didn't get shut out of this fight he didn't get hurt so bad he couldn't keep fighting in this fight he just got to a point where he clearly did not enjoy any part of it. So, yeah. anyway, Petrino gets a he gets a win. He, he gets a you know he, he grabbed a finish, so he, he saved a pretty bleh performance with that. But yeah, otherwise. and it was a, it was a late finish too, so that is yeah. a, a huge plus. Someone who will go after it late, even though they have it in the bag. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, Bantamweight bout, Cameron Simon, Terrence Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell really was just not ready to be in the UFC. It's coming out crushing cans on Alaska regional scene, and basically that's what this fight looked like. I like that he went for it, though. Yeah, he went for it. He's He, he has the style of somebody used to everybody just absolutely imploding when they tie up. So he's, the aggression is there that used to being like oh yeah if i come after you and i go for it you're just gonna fold i will dominate 
and Simon just was like, no, I can just actually reverse everything you do and beat you be better at it. Yeah. yeah. So it's badass, honestly. Yeah. Dude's not a no clean win. Yep. Um, I mean, what's not to like here? Yeah. He's on that, that Drick is train. He is. He's Bantamweight is going to be a much, much harder division to do that. And he's not half the, half the athlete Drikus is, but he's fun. I mean, like everybody in the, those two dudes, I'm assuming everybody else in their gym. I haven't seen everybody else in the gym, but those two dudes, if they represent their gym, they, they're scrappy as hell, you know, mm-hmm. they will not quit for anything. So, all right. Flyweight bout Jesus Aguilar. Absolutely murdered Shannon Ross. Put out an APB. Got a homicide. Because nobody fucks with the Jesus. No. <laughs> nobody. Man, and I was. I feel bad too because I was going into this and like I'm writing in all my previews and everything. I'm like, man, Shannon Ross doesn't have the chin to be competing at this level. And. Just Aguilar do it. <laughs> yeah. He just sat down on one right hand and that man was out. He was he was seeing dimensions, sights unknown. He came back with like a letter for from Aguilar's grandma, you know. He came back religious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he met his creator. That was he was way knocked out. Mm. Great win for Aguilar. He's dude's got he has the muscle, he has the speed, the power. He's got the the physical side to be a really good flyweight. So it's all just about putting all the technique together for him. Man, 17 second knockout. What was yeah. going on tonight? What was in the water? I don't know, man. This is a great card. All that open up Esteban Rubovich. Camuela Kirk and uh this is a great fight too. Like <laughs> it was decent. Yeah. Kirk came out, he took Rubovich down, kind of held him down. You're like, oh, this is how it's gonna go. He saw Rubovich get out wrestled by that other dude. But the moment a little bit of steam went off Kirk's shot. He's not actually a good enough wrestler to just duck in and get easy takedowns. He had to really walk into the pocket. And that meant every time he wanted to shoot in after that, he had to step right into punching range and then try to duck in and started getting lit up. And it took all the confidence out of his game. I think so. he, I think he petered out a little bit too in that opening mm-hmm. round with all that back control. Yeah. That's exhausting. Yeah. I I really think he did everything he could, and he kept trying to force the rear naked chokes. They weren't just there. um, Rebovix was not giving it up easily, and I think Kirk just kind of tired himself out. Just went a little too hard with the dominant position. Didn't pay off. Once he got stranded kickboxing with him, that was was not a good place to be. I really love how smooth Rebovix's power transfer is. Like, that dude can put long combinations together and make it look really smooth and easy. He does such a good job of moving his bot. Like each punch he throws, it moves him in position for the next punch, you know? So he can put, he's out there like throwing 10 or 15 punches. And I like, like it. Oh. And I don't like it. I, yeah. I, I like it because it's, it reminds me of uh, Vicente Luque kind of, 
Mm. Uh, like very hittable. However, the strikes that they're throwing, their offense is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, you can't you can't sit there and just trade with them because they're willing no. to eat these shots to to dish out what they have. So it's like it's it's makes for really fun fights, but it also puts them yeah. in harm's way often. I mean, it's definitely one of those things like it used to be a big problem with Robert Whitaker, less so now, although it kind of came back for this fight with Drikus. Um, that like it's the thing of like you're chasing extra strikes in the pocket where you're staying in the pocket longer because you see more opportunities for stuff you can do. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, but you are right there, like right in front of somebody to get hit in return. Yeah. And you know, that was like a big problem for Whitaker in like the Yoel fights. And uh yeah, you could easily see that being something that Rubovich has to to contend with later on. But it's so fun to watch when it's clicking on offense. Like I just I don't care. You know, for me the fan. I'm just like, yeah, you're putting like 15 punches together and it doesn't make you tired. That's beautiful, you know? Oh, for sure. He flows. He, he yeah. definitely flows. All right. Kick it back up to the top. Alexander Volkanovsky, still king of the featherweight division, looking great. Zane, is he the pound-for-pound pound greatest fighter in the world? Oh, I hate these questions. I want to say yes, because there's a good argument. He went toe-to-toe with Makhachev. And, you know, I wouldn't argue that he beat Makhachev, but he at the end of the fight, he was beating him, you know? Right. And so, because that's the difficulty of, like, is somebody pound for pound? It's like, oh, if they go up and have a super fight and they lose it, well, that doesn't, you know, like, the pound for pound is supposed to be the guy who, like, across all weight divisions would would win anything if it's skill for skill kind of thing. You mean like John Jones? Yeah. <laughs> but, he would have been one. I know, but the, 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 the middleweight and up, these aren't real divisions. <laughs> this is all one class, really. You know, we got Alex Pereira out there. Tell, 200. That, hey, tell that to OSP. Tell that to Alexander Gustafson. I know, Tell I that know. to Luke Rockhold. There's plenty of guys that tried to move up and got absolutely pantsed. I know, I know. But uh, anyway, Volkanovsky is definitely, I mean, he's great. He's yeah. great. That's all that matters. And uh, Pantoja, I'll be fascinated to see how long he keeps this flyweight title. I'm, I love that he got to win it. I mean, dude has, he has put in all the work in all of the anonymity to get to this point and win this belt. So that's really cool. Yeah. All right. On that note, we're going to sign off. If you are a subscriber to our Substack, we're going to have a bo- some bonus content dropping on our Substack podcast that we're going to go record right right here in just a bit. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, 
the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us. <laughs>